as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I am not Adam McDonald, your normal main host. I am Andy Wilson of Graphic Policy. Sorry, folks. Adam has been really, really sick these last couple weeks and uh Every time he tries to talk, he just makes his throat more sore and makes himself more sick. So we're we're letting him off the hook for a couple of weeks. And hopefully by the time Star Wars comes out, we're all back and recuperated and he can actually talk into a microphone. But because we've got to talk about these movies that are coming out, I have assembled a, a Justice League of my own to, uh, to back up. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, welcome, uh, Caitlin Booth and uh, Mark DeLeon. Hi. My name is Caitlin Booth. I am the head film writer at Bleeding Cool. Hi, my name is Mark DeLeon. I uh, write for my own entertainment. I'm sorry. I just I don't have much cred here, man. <laughs> you, you can and you can hear me and Mark on the Know You Move podcast, uh, along with Melissa Martinez, who may be joining us later in the podcast, uh, where we mostly talk about politics and the intersection of that and all things geek. Uh, and and our our podcast name is, of course, a play off of that uh, that speech from Captain America: Civil War. Uh, know You Move. Uh, which we felt was very apropos uh, during these times. Speaking of during these times, let's talk about the Justice League. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to have Mark on here is, Mark, you are one of the most well-read DC fans that I know, and I know how much you love this team. So why don't you tell us what Justice League is all about? Caution, spoiler alert, some spoilers ahead for Justice League. This has been out for a week, a week and a half by the time this goes up, but we will try and keep Coco relatively spoiler-free. Well, basically, this is like a direct continuation of uh, the Batman versus Superman movie that everybody seems to hate. Uh, And, like, I I, I play the role of DC apologist, I guess, uh, because I kind of understood what they were going for, even though I admitted, like, Batman versus Superman was heavily flawed. I think this was a pretty good follow-up to Batman vs. Superman. It's definitely superior to that movie. Although, as what's been uh, said, it's true that uh, after Wonder Woman, this just wasn't as good. So maybe they should have gone with this first and then Wonder Woman. But in any case, the the plot is very, very, very basic. Very, very, very simple. Um, There are three mother boxes that were broken apart and left in three different places on earth one one was kept one of the mother boxes was kept in atlantis uh another was kept in themyscira and another was kept within the realm of man and um in comes steppenwolf the the big villain the big bad of this the big baddie of this movie and um he escapes uh wherever he was imprisoned and and i'm i'm making these kind of short here but uh, what happens is that uh, he escapes wherever he was kept and he's searching for the mother boxes. And his whole purpose is to reunite the mother boxes in what he calls an event he calls the, the unity, which is going to help him uh, terraform Earth and make it just as bad as uh, apocalypses. And those of you who've read the comics or who are into DC, y'all know uh, what where apocalypse is and who rules apocalypse. That, of course, is Darkseid, who doesn't show up in this movie at all. But the connection with Batman versus Superman uh, is, of course, Superman. And uh, he does make an appearance. Or he comes back. But the, and this is the strength of the movie. How Superman comes back uh, is actually pretty cool. Um, and the moment where he comes back and, and the big fight that happens within the team is actually pretty cool. It's, it's one of the highlights of the movie itself. Uh, but to make a long story short... Uh, everybody gets together. Uh, Batman ends up finding uh, Flash. They convince Cyborg to join the team. And together they all uh, join forces to uh, beat the crap out of Steppenwolf, who is not very well rendered. Uh, he, and I'm being that's, generous. That's being nice. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, I know. So I know. Nice. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, 
we have to understand that Warner Brothers doesn't have access to ILM because if they did, they they oh, knock it out of no park. Excuse. It, well, I'm not saying it's not it's an excuse. I'm just saying let's keep that in mind, mm-hmm. keep it in check. Anyway, so uh, I I think overall this movie was a vast improvement, uh, and I expect for uh, them to get better as they move along. Uh, one of the cool things is at the opening of the movie when they're uh, explaining the exposition as to why Steppenwolf is who he is and what his original purpose was. They do explain that um, uh, the forces of the Mascara, the Amazons, uh, the forces of Atlantis and man got together to fight off Steppenwolf. But they also show the old gods. We're talking about the Greek gods. And there is a brief uh, snippet of a Green Lantern fighting who gets killed and then the ring goes away. This, this to me was really cool because it acknowledges the presence of a Green Lantern and that we should be seeing them hopefully in future movies. Uh, now, to talk about box office, this movie didn't do as well box office wise as what Warner Bros. was hoping. So there's speculation that uh, maybe Warner Bros. is going to start to turn away from Justice League centered movies and maybe just concentrate on Wonder Woman and her rogues gallery of villains. Uh, they may or may not do that, but I think that this was good enough to merit another movie uh, and to see them improve, which I'm hoping is going to happen. <laughs> um, so I'm on the record for really hating Batman v Superman and really hating Suicide Squad. So I went into this with extremely low expectations, like they could not get any lower. And <laughs> honestly, even after, even going in with my low expectations, I walked out and went, well, that was insignificant. That was there like i can remember i was walking into a screening the next day to go see wonder and i went up was talking to my rep who had also been in it and i was like i have seen i saw that movie less than 24 hours ago and i've already forgotten most of it because it just it's really mediocre it's really just kind of like i think i said in my review that you know like this is being billed as it's an event it's like oh my god it's the justice league on live action for the first time ever that's so cool it's like but it's not it's just there and it's not very good and it's not as it's just a whole bunch of missed opportunities that just it feels like it should be a huge event and at the end of the day it's just really kind of boring and not very good um I like to say that really good movies get me excited and I want to talk about them and really bad movies get me angry and fired up, but really (laughs) mediocre movies just make me tired. And I was so tired when I got out of Justice League. I was just, it it made me tired of superhero movies. I was just like, why do I have to watch another one of these? And I love superhero movies. It was just, there was... There, the cracks between multiple directors were there. You could practically go, yeah. that's Snyder, that's Whedon, that's Snyder, that's mm-hmm. Whedon. It's just, we know that there are no less than three different versions of this movie that have been made. And that's just, that's not an argument. That is a fact. There is the version of the movie they went in when they started shooting immediately after Batman v Superman came out. Before they knew that movie was about to get critically panned. There's the second version of the movie that they altered after taking in all of the criticism from Batman v Superman. And then there's the third version of the movie after the Snyders had to depart because of an absolute horrifying tragedy in their lives. So there are three different versions of this movie and it feels like this is three different versions of the same movie because it's just kind of incoherent and things just kind of happen and it just comes across as really kind of insignificant and not the thing they wanted it to be yeah and and that's why i really compare this to another movie that had a similar history which is superman 2 where richard donner was fired halfway through the production of that movie actually he'd shot all of superman 2 while he was making the first superman and um or all of the footage that he was going to for for superman 2 and uh, Warner Brothers brought in Richard Lester to finish the movie. And you can really see the seams between that because uh, Lester's stuff is super campy. There's ridiculous sound effects. It's, it, it's really kind of ridiculous. And all of the stuff you're like, 
Huh, that's funny. I don't remember Superman having that power to be able to throw a cellophane S off of his chest. That's Richard Lester. <laughs> and uh, and the other stuff that's, that's more canonical and iconic is the uh, Richard Donner stuff. So how I approached this movie was uh, I remember being nine, ten years old and uh, seeing seeing Superman 2 on TV and taping it onto a VHS and watching that over and over and over again. And I didn't care at that time about the seams between the movie. And as far as I knew, that was like the best thing out there. And I loved it because I was nine and it was great. Incidentally, I took my nine-year-old son to go see it and he also loved this movie. So... Uh, I think that if you approach it in that very non-critical way, you can have a good ride on this particular roller coaster. But yeah. if you put even the slightest bit of weight onto this, it starts tearing apart. And it really exposes a, a weak villain, a, um, a plot that is not memorable it's basically, you know, Mark, you mentioned these these mother boxes. They're they're space MacGuffins. That that's that's all they are. <laughs> and and once again, you have a I, villain coming to terraform the Earth, and and the the Kryptonian spaceship magically contains a bunch of technology that moves the plot forward. And it's like you guys, there's going back to the well, and then there's going back to the well again, and. And and that's where I think this movie fails. It it could have and should have been better because these characters are so iconic. And we saw Wonder Woman be awesome. And Wonder Woman is occasionally awesome in this movie. And Superman's occasionally awesome in this movie. And there's little bits and pieces all over this, like like tinsel on a on a Christmas tree that is past its prime. But the tinsel's really pretty. And, and that's uh, so so coming out of it i'm like yeah okay that that movie isn't bad but i have a lot of very critical things to say about it so wait a minute a, a, a christmas tree that's past its prime are you saying this movie is a fire hazard uh, it could be <laughs> is this too much on fire <laughs> No, uh, this movie is used to create dunes in the, in the coast. This movie has <laughs> is going to be filling up a bunch of uh, the the boys. The boys boy scouts are going to come and take your movie away later on next month. This movie, this movie is essential right. to keep our coastlines uh, intact. Uh, sure. Anyway, so <laughs> the here's the first thing I'm going to say: Kryptonian cellophane has properties that no earthly cellophane has. I'm not gonna defend. Oh, okay, anyway. D- defend your. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Okay, we're, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna settle in to do this. Okay, sounds. <laughs> I'm not gonna defend that. That was really I'm stupid. I'm gonna go get a beer. Uh, even as a kid, I rem- even as a kid, I remember watching that. I'm like, really? That that that's what got them. Yep. And then we're gonna we're gonna reverse power stuff. Like, no, nah, that was kind of yeah. stupid. Yep. But I still loved it. Anyway, so here's the thing. Like. Uh, it's it's fun. It's a fun movie. It, it it is fun. If you're looking for like a lot of substance, you're you're just not gonna find it there because it, it's very straight cut. Like there's a bad guy and they're gonna band together to beat the bad guy, and of course they're gonna beat the bad guy. Then that's pretty much it. Uh, everybody, and, and I hate doing the Marvel DC comparison, and I'm not really doing it on purpose. I'm not doing it for that purpose anyway. But if you look at Iron Man, which everybody loves, Iron Man 1, uh, the villain was like super weak sauce, man. Jebediah, whatever. Uh, and, and there's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whatever the hell his name is. He's that forgettable. It, as much as I love dude. the dude. Don't. Just not, as, yeah. as, much as, as much as I love the dude, the villain is extremely forgettable. You're right. And the fact that it takes Robert Downey Jr. two thirds of the movie to learn how to use his suit, and Obadiah learns it in five seconds. Is like as nonsensical as it gets. Yet this movie is considered one of the greats. So, like, let's not put too much weight into that. This is just a fun movie, and there's lots of action takes place. There's good humor. Um, there, I mean, it, they kind of gave the fans what they what they were asking for, and it looks like maybe fans didn't want that after all. 
Um, but I think like if we see this as a, a direct continuation of Batman versus Superman, which I think was the point to begin with, like Superman's death kind of makes sense when you watch Justice League. And the way they they bring bring him back, it all makes sense. And the Kryptonian ship is the crux of 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 all that. So it does make sense. But like, I mean, let's not let's not look too deeply. Yeah, into but this. simple doesn't give you an excuse for not trying hard. And everything about this movie feels like half-assed. Like they didn't try. I mean, like we're going back to just the CGI for uh, Steppenwolf, for Cyborg, and for Superman's horrifying upper lip. Like, that is some PS1 era cutscene technology going on here, and this is a movie that costs $300 million. Like, okay. simple, First simple of all, is not an excuse for not trying hard, for not doing a good job, for not having good cinematography, for not having compelling characters, for not having just a plot that makes sense. If it's a simple plot, it should make sense, and this one does not make sense. Why did why did does. why did the humans bury their mother box under five feet of dirt? That's a horrible place to keep it. Why? Have you met humans? We're stupid. Like we're humanity's kind of dumb. Uh, just like why would humans keep the tesseract in whatever Denmark or wherever the hell it was? I mean, humans do kind of dumb things. But the plot's as simple as it gets. There's nothing really to get. Steppenwolf was sent to conquer Earth and terraform it and make it a mini apocalypse. He was imprisoned by the forces, uh, Amazonian Atlant- Atlantean forces and human forces, and he broke free from imprisonment and he's resuming what he was sent to do. I mean, that's it's very straightforward. If anything, that's that's the issue. It's, it's too simplistic. But if you pick up a comic book series, they tend to be very simplistic. So th- to me, this movie was one of the most comic book-like movies. It's It was like reading, a, like, I don't know, Crisis of Earth? Not really. I mean, I'm not going to compare it to Crisis of Earth. But it's, it's basically the same thing. There is a general concept. The people get together, and it's over pretty quick. So I didn't have an issue with that at all. I I don't know. I think the, and the whole Marvel DC thing, I, I worry about that and whether that's... That on one hand it is a fair comparison, on the other hand it isn't because it's like if I go back to the 1940s and 50s, and I'm like I want to compare another western of the era to a John Ford western, then I can say like here's what John Ford was doing. This is why the Searchers worked, and this is why the Searchers is a classic, and point out where that other movie failed. And I think it's okay to to say that, and it doesn't mean westerns as a genre are bad. And I I feel like the the whole superhero genre renaissance that we're having right now is analogous in a lot of ways to what happened with westerns in the 40s and 50s. Westerns were, you know, all about black and white morality, and and that's what you got, and and larger than life uh, iconographic characters. Uh, that's what we get. This is our modern mythology, and I think it's okay to be like, yeah, you know what? I wanted Superman to be a little more Superman, and I wanted Batman to be a little more Batman, and I I wanted special effects to be done a little better so that they don't look terrible. And I want a villain that isn't quite so one-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, if anything, that that I do agree on. Steppenwolf was a bit one-dimensional and his CGI rendering was, I mean, it wasn't great at all. But overall, I mean, it's still fun. And I did have an issue with Cyborg, uh, at least the way he looked. But at the end, when he's getting his updates, he looks more like the Cyborg we're used to. So I think this movie showed a little bit of the evolution of what these heroes are going to ultimately look like. I mean, we, we got to understand that these guys just came together. The Flash really hasn't been out in the public consciousness. He will be now. So maybe the way uh, he puts his suit together is going to change. Um, Superman has a new perspective on what it is to be him and what his purpose is. Uh, is on earth so like all these things are evolving and i was okay with that seeing that evolution and i'm kind of excited to see where else they take this uh i i, I hope there's a sequel but i'm i mean nothing's guaranteed now yeah 
that is that is necessarily true. Okay, so so final thoughts and and final summation. Um, I'm I'm sort of grading on the curve here, and from the perspective of I'm nine years old and I'm enjoying it, I'm giving this a gentleman's C, and I'm I'm giving it like like a six and a half, seven out of ten. So that's that's where I am. Um, I I I liked it. I wanted to like it more. But it's definitely got flaws that I that I can't look beyond. Uh, I think I ultimately ended up giving it a six and a half out of ten because I did enjoy some of the character reaction uh, interactions. I did. I actually am one of the people that really enjoyed uh, Ezra Miller's Flash. Um, Yay! Uh, because I kind I thought they were playing him as kind of a little almost neuroatypical, which I thought was interesting, and I love Gal Gadot could ask me to do anything and I would do it on my knees. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. You and about half of America, I think. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Everybody at yeah. this point. So, um, but at the end of the day, um, even with that very, I consider that to be a pretty generous six out of, and a half out of 10. I, it still was just really kind of not there for me. And like I said, I have no desire to see it again. And I've forgotten 90% of it, even though I saw it like a week ago. I'm giving it a seven and a half. Uh, I I went with a kid to see this movie at my kid and she loved it. She couldn't stop talking about it. Uh, And I'm noticing a pattern of people who aren't super invested in superhero movies are actually having a good time watching this. Uh, And I know I had a good time watching this. That's all I was asking for. I just wanted a fun movie. Um, And, and I'm with you guys. Like more substance would have been great. So, you know, it definitely doesn't deserve an eight or anything higher than that. Uh, but this is a solid B for me. And I'm just hoping that it gets better uh, with the next sequel. And I hope that it comes our way. Hmm. We shall see. I mean, Superman and Batman aren't going anywhere for better or for worse. There will either be a sequel or a reboot. It, it will happen. All right, and joining us for the second half of the podcast, I am super excited uh, to have with us uh, Miss Melissa Martinez. Melissa, introduce yourself. Well, I'm Melissa. As Andy said, I, like Marco, live in South Texas, in San Antonio specifically. Um, And uh, I do business writing for a living, mostly. Um, And I got to see Coco almost three weeks ago now actually i was pretty surprised that i got to see it that early so i i love love loved this movie i'm sure the rest of you did as well right yeah pixar yeah <laughs> yeah you know and i'm gambling on pixar the fact that it's pixar i'm hoping that that means a lot of people will go and see it because i know there's like a section of of the movie fan base that they'll just automatically go see anything Pixar it doesn't really matter what it's about and so I'm hoping that's the case and we get a really diverse group of people to go and see this and it doesn't just end up being me and my fellow Mexican Americans who see it it seems to be tracking pretty well so I think I think you're probably I think it's tracking to take the weekend really even better than wouldn't surprise me I mean I know it's the second week but yeah, no. Well, think about how many families uh, go out and see movies on like mm-hmm. Black Friday, and I think if you've got kids, um, I I don't know. I I would think the better bet would be Coco rather than Justice League. Wow, so. that's amazing. I, I hope that's the case. I really do, um, because this movie to me, yeah. it's sort of like a love letter to Mexican culture. And, um, and there's like a little part of me that thinks it might even be almost like an apology. Like, hey, we're sorry about all the stuff people are saying about you. So here's like this wonderful movie. So people will learn a little bit about the really great side uh, of your culture. I just hope a lot of people see it, um, you know, because I think a lot of people don't understand our culture unless you're a part of it or you live in a part of the country. Um where you experience it on on a deeper level, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, not all of Mexico is really that disinvolved in Dia de los Muertos. I know where I'm from, it's not a big, big deal. 
But what I like about this movie is that it hits other cultural aspects of, you know, the Mexican background, especially for recent immigrants and, you know, first, second generation uh, folks that still have deep roots to their culture. There is the whole, um, and it's a bit of a stereotype, but like we're very big into uh, having deep familial bonds and um, the overbearingness of the matriarch, usually the grandma. Um, and the power she wields within the family structure. Like, you see all of this in the movie, and it really comes through. It shines through in a very positive way, I think, anyway. Uh, and I, I really love that it feels like somebody wrote this movie and totally understood me as a person, finally. Like, I finally got that representation, and I didn't know I was missing it all this time. And sure enough, when I was watching this movie, like... There were several spots where, like, tears were welling in my eyes um, because it, it got it right. It, we finally have a movie. And, and I should throw a shout-out to The Book of Life because it's a very good movie. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good. And it hits a lot of the, the, the Mexican cultural aspects. But for some reason, this movie, uh, Coco, like, really hit me hard. And I was it, it resonated in me because I was able to make those personal collect, uh, connections. What about you, Mel? Yeah, well, you know, I'm actually third generation American um, in my family. So uh, I I don't have the ties to Mexico the same. I still have family there. Uh, but the last time we went to visit them or they came up to visit us was like 25 years ago. or something. I mean, I've been to Mexico lots of times since then. Just not we don't have the bond to the family there. Uh, but what it was with me was almost like... Um, it felt almost like a reconnection because at, by the time you get to third generation, um, it's not that you lose the bonds. It's just that that um, you become much more Americanized in a sense. Um, and we, I struggle with that because my grandmother was actually quite ashamed of being Mexican because um, she didn't speak English when she started school here. And uh, she got made fun of a lot. You know, she's from a very small town in Texas and you know, you could get away with all kinds of racist, violent stuff. And so she just learned to be ashamed of it. And she tried to kind of censor it in our household. My grandpa, her husband, embraced it. So we had this kind of dual thing going on. And for me, this movie mm -hmm. sort of helped me reconnect in a way. Because my grandfather died several years ago. And I, you know, my my brother and I have tried not to lose that bond. Um, at, but it's not always easy you know in day-to-day -day life and stuff but and so it's weird because this movie was like the, a, a film that i didn't realize i kind of needed right now um if that makes sense uh i didn't realize i kind of needed something to remind me of of the good stuff and to not be mired down in the political aspect of being mexican or mexican-american right now because there's a very political aspect that i won't get into here but um, I, I didn't know I, I needed this film and I think it comes at the perfect time, especially right before the holidays when family's a big deal. Cause like Marco said, uh, when you're Mexican, your ties to family are deep and, and it doesn't even matter. They don't have to be like in your household. I mean, how many times when we try to arrange a time for the podcast, have I been like, Oh, cousin, this cousin, that I've got like 200 cousins or something, you know? And we're all just very close. And, and so um, this did that beautifully. There were maybe a few stereotypes, but there was nothing that was offensive or anything. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they really did that wonderfully. And, um, and, and I mean, this, I think I mentioned this before, but the color. I mean, our, our yeah. culture is so vibrant, but when you see... Mexicans portrayed on screen, whether it's TV or film, you know, they're they're like in the inner city and it's, you know, everything's gray and concrete and, you know, about the struggles of, of, of that uh, aspect of being Mexican-American. But here, it, everything's just so colorful and vibrant. And that's sort of how I always pictured my culture. And, and yet I never see it portrayed that way uh, or not very often at all. You know, and nobody was like a bad stereotype. You know, you didn't see right. people like in jail. You know, you didn't see a bunch of criminals or, or you know, barachos or something. I mean, it 
So the the story centers on a young boy named Miguel who um, wants to be a musician. It's his passion. He secretly hides a guitar and practices all the time, and he's quite good at it. We do get to hear him sing. Um, but his family, specifically his grandma, try to stop him from pursuing that. They don't think there's a future. There's a family history with musicians that they get into uh, that sort of makes them persona non grata inside this household. And so he goes off on an adventure partially to pursue his dream. And, and that's the story that gets the whole plot in motion. And that's pretty universal. I mean, how many times have we seen a young child who wants to be something very specific when they grow up and their parents are not about it at all? I mean, I feel like we've seen that story a million times before, even though as I say that, I'm having trouble remembering a specific title. Uh, but I know we've seen that before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So... And, and that's what I love about it. Like they can immerse themselves in the culture, but still be relatable to a really wide group of people. And I, I, I credit that, you know, not just to the script writers, but I think Pixar, uh, especially being owned by Disney now, they really understand that, how to appeal to a wide demographic. Well, I'll tell you one thing. This is really hitting uh, the Mexican people exactly how Pixar wanted it to work. It, this is exploded in Mexico. It's the biggest thing right now going on. And part of the reason is that what Pixar did is they inserted characters that are known to people like me. Um, I am a first generation American, but like barely. I Like we got here last week. Uh, but And I grew up watching uh, the old classic Mexican movies and they added characters uh, such as El Santo, uh, uh, actors like uh, 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 Pedro Infante, Alfredo Jimenez, uh, even Cantiflas made an appearance in one of the scenes. And while the 90, 90% of the American audience isn't going to know who these people are, those of us who have that background, like we just relate to it. And watching this movie, I... I couldn't help but think of my dad and my grandfather and my grandmother. Uh, I saw them there. But here's the thing. like You don't really have to be Hispanic to understand the central tenets of this movie. Because this is basically a father-daughter story. Uh, and the title of this movie is, is a, it's very much a misdirection. Uh, it, it, you're, you don't really... You kind of expect it towards the end of the movie. You know where it's going. But at the beginning, you just you just really don't. And for me, I think that that story works and it resonates with people who aren't Mexican-American because, I mean, there is that classic pairing of a father and a daughter and the love that they share for each other. You know, that's the way I'm seeing it. But uh, what, do you, what did you think about this, Caitlin? I cried like a baby. <laughs> oh, I, I, there were so many tears for this movie. Um, I, I agree that this is a movie where... The themes are a hundred percent universal, and like, no, I didn't get any of the you know like background references or anything, and I didn't care because I was still so swept up in in the story and the characters and just the little details. Um, I did kind of have an issue with the second act; it kind of felt like we were starting to meander a bit, and then that third act happened. And I know we're not getting into spoilers, but. This movie has one hell of a third act, and it goes to a level of dark that you don't normally see in kids' movies unless you're watching a Leica production. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when those twists started happening and they started to like peel back the layer of everything that's going on, I'm like, am I watching a Leica movie? Because that's like what they do in like Paranorman. Like, this is a like yeah. this stuff is not what you expect to come out of a kids' movie, and the fact that Pixar was able to go there and recover from what was actually, like I said, not a great second act, in my opinion, it just says how strong the movie was overall. And man, like those ending scenes, like bring your tissues, you are going to cry your eyes out. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Laika because the movie that this reminds me most of, you know, besides Book of the Dead is, or excuse me, Book of Life, uh, is, um, is Kubo and the Two Strings from last Absolutely, year. Absolutely, yeah. And they, because they both 
brought elements of that culture in very perfectly, but it was universal enough and it brought us along with it. And in both cases, it was uh, a young child dealing with a family legacy and uh, and kind of shifting between this world and and the world of the dead and the world of the supernatural in in order to go on this hero's journey. And and so in that sense, it's the most universal thing on the planet. And that's why it works so well, because everyone has a family and everyone's family puts expectations on them of, you know, this is our legacy. This is who we are. This is our identity. You must do this. You may not do this. And a part of growing up is bristling against that and rebelling against it and trying to find your own path and trying to find your own identity. And this, this does all of that and more, uh, going back to, to the visuals. I mean, I, I think one of the most stunning things that I've ever seen in any Pixar movie or maybe any animated movie in, in the last 10 years are uh, the the spirit guide animals that are in the oh, land of the man, dead? They were so cool looking. Oh, yeah, gosh. and and it's it's just it's it's almost not uh, possible to describe how beautiful they are. And and one other thing that I noticed is someone who who plays guitar, um, they mapped uh, Miguel's hand and finger movements exactly to what he should have been doing to play these songs and of course they did of course they did because they're of course Pixar did that of course and it was it's it's that level of detail that they go into that's that's so beautiful and so perfect and and so even for me who is um I don't know Mexican culture adjacent and Mexican Mexican culture appreciative um you know, I got it. I got it 100%. And it totally worked for me in the same way that a movie about a French rat trying to <laughs> cook works or the way that, that a future robot trying to clean up the earth works. Uh, because that's the Pixar magic. And you know what, Andy, on that front, um, like all of that was beautiful. Like the universal themes and, you know, the animation, everything was just absolutely perfect. But I'm really entrenched in that I love the way they depicted people that are like me. Um, if you compare what we've had before, like I said, Book of Life, great movie. I love it. Uh, but if you go back a couple of decades and you think about Speedy Gonzalez and the way we were depicted as people, uh, God damn it. Even in the cartoons, there was there was mice just sitting down by a wall with broken beer bottles right next yep. to them. Yep. And this whole epa, 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 le bullshit mm-hmm. like I, I think about it that's what that's what people told me i had to look like and sound like and it pisses me off to no end but pixar does it absolutely right it's perfect and you get just enough of our of our culture and who we are as people to appreciate without it taking you away from the universal themes and you have no idea how much I love that and how much I appreciate that. Yeah. Melissa, you said that this was, this felt very much like a sort of apology uh, in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that I felt that it worked as that is an apology for almost, what, 80 years going on now with a serious lack of representation of Latinos in uh in the disney pantheon yeah it's, and it's one of the glaring things i mean i i remember as a kid i mean you had movies like mulan and you had um you know pocahontas and you had all these other you know uh aladdin even though there were some pretty racial overtones there that weren't positive um you know uh but you had all these films with people of color and I, I did always kind of wonder, when's our turn, you know? Um, and, and it's funny to say that because um, I just read an article just today, actually, that uh, this week is the 30th anniversary of the release of uh, the, this album by Linda Ronstadt called um, Canciones de Mi Padre. I, I'm sure Marco is familiar with this. 
Um, This was like a landmark for us because she was already established as, uh, you know, kind of a superstar singer. And I guess you could say came out of the closet as Mexican um, where she'd been hiding. Yeah, it was was a big, big. big, I mean, she was on Sesame Street in mariachi gear. I mean, that was like a huge deal for us because I feel like culturally it helped bring all of us out of the closet not that we were in the closet but we were ignored i mean pretty much ignored uh like like if you had um like a survey or form you had to fill out there was no box for us we just had to check white you know what i'm saying um now we've got all the boxes you know we take up half the form with our boxes um uh and but it was very different growing up and I always wondered, um, when's our turn? You know, we've got Linda Ronstadt now, people. When's our turn? You know, and uh, it it it's it feels like a trickle. You know, it, it's just it's just doesn't seem to. Keep, there's no momentum. Um, you you have a few representations here and there, and somehow people think that's enough to be background or secondary. Here we take center stage in a way that that you know says your culture you know this is it and this is the beautiful side of it and yet again like I said earlier is still very universal and very uh, you know it it just it would appeal to a white group of people you do not have to be Mexican or even know a single thing about Mexican culture in order to enjoy this so. I, I appreciate the representation and I, I hope you're right about the tracking and that it does well because um, this to me, um, this could be a little bit of a watermark here, you know, um, kind of how we were talking about how like several years ago we were praying Bridesmaid would do well because uh, we knew that if it did poorly that the whole women aren't funny thing would, would take hold again and we would never see a group and a group of women doing comedy like that on a large scale. Um, and how, you know, like Wonder Woman, I was just like, please, please, lots of people go see this and not just women because we needed that box office so we could prove to people, hey, women-centric superhero movies work. And I feel the same way about Coco, you know, like this needs to do well so that Disney and other big studios and not just indie studios, not that there's anything wrong with indie films, I love them, but we need to get into the mainstream and the way to do that is to show we have box office clout. And I think that this film will go a long way towards doing that. So we already know it's a great film, but it it needs to show that monetarily because money talks to these studio executives in the end. So I just pulled up Box Office Mojo. Uh, Coco pulled in 2.3 million on Tuesday night previews alone. It's Damn. looking to do, let's see, uh, estimating to open in the 55 to $60 million range, which will put it in about the same that The Good Dinosaur did. Mm. So, so much better yeah. than The Good Dinosaur. It is so much better than The Good Dinosaur. Although you know, I, uh, I liked parts we, of that we movie. Can hope, we can hope it'll do as well as Moana did, uh, which was uh, 82. Yeah, I no, mean, that's true. We'll have to see. But but these yeah. these movies have long tails. Uh, you know, no, oh, yeah. like the, the superhero movies, they do really big the first two, three weeks, and then they, they really taper off. Uh like you look at the box office for Frozen, its box office the first two three weeks was really kind of pitiful, and then it took off because there was so much word of mouth and yeah. people just kept going to see it over and over again. And I think this is that kind of movie that once people get it and they're like, "Oh, it's a movie about family. I can take my family to it." Hey, kids, we're going to the shopping mall to do some holiday shopping. Let's go see a movie too. You go park yourself in Coco. That's that's what you do because Absolutely. this this is that movie. This is that movie. There there's nothing else out there in the landscape that's going to be this big, probably until Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I just I just hope that the political landscape doesn't affect this in a negative way. And you know, there's a couple of things on the political la- landscape that are I mean up. 
I don't want to get too political because it's not that kind of podcast. We can, we but can be political. We can be a little political. We've taken digs well, at things. Yeah, well, we there, there's that. There, there's that anti-immigrant um, backlash that we're experiencing. Sure. Uh, you know, our president saying that you know Mexican folks are, you know, all these deviant creatures. So there's that, and there's also the Pixar issues right now, especially with John Lasseter. Uh-huh. And I hope yes, that that's that what I worry about. Right. You know, there's going to be that backlash against this movie that's absolutely terrific. It's one, it's the best animated movie of the year so far. And for me, it's one of my absolute favorite animated movies. So I hope these two things, you know, the, 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 the things on the landscape that are going on right now don't affect this movie because it doesn't deserve this. Everybody needs to see this. And if you're into family movies, you can't get any more family than this. If you're just into good movies, go see this. Right. 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 Exactly. It's just a good movie. It's not like... I mean, I'll be the first one to argue that there is a difference between a kid's movie and a family movie. And this is 100% a family movie and that it will appeal to everyone. But it's also Mm -hmm. just a good movie without any, like, you don't need to qualify it in any way. You don't say, oh, it's good for an animation movie. It's good for a family movie. No, it's just a good movie, period. I agree. You're right. And that's, that's the best way to put it. Uh, So, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at at this movie. This is in, you know, this is in my top five for the year. I give this a nine out of 10. uh, And I, I can't see anything else really, you know, breaking, breaking away from this, like I said, until Star Wars. I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. Um, I said in in another podcast that one of the things I enjoyed the most was uh, the background or the intro of the story uh, told through Papel Picado, which is, you know, real big in in our culture, and our community. Uh, The way they utilized Papel Picado to explain, you know, everything to me was just so beautiful and perfect. And that's just one of the things I loved about it. This whole movie from beginning to end had me completely engrossed and I'm giving it 10 out of 10. I ended up giving it a nine and a half out of 10. Uh, like I said that I'm not entirely sold on that second act, but I think I would actually enjoy it even more now going in and watching it a second time, which I do plan on doing, uh, knowing that it's able to come back. But yeah, a hundred percent go see this movie. I, I wasn't able to see it in 3d, so I don't know how the 3d is, but, uh, Oh, yeah, that's one thing. Actually, don't go see it in 3D. The colors are so beautiful and bright. I think the the 3D kind of washes it out a little bit. We saw it in 3D. It wasn't really anything there. And truth be told, those glasses get in the way oh. of wiping your tears away. So that, I think I that's a, another consideration to have. I guess Bring I've a box never of seen tissues. a 3D movie with, yeah. where I cried now that I think about it. <laughs> Wow. Um, You know, if I'm trying to be objective, I would give this movie a 9 out of 10. But because of the very personal feels that it gave me, I mean, I came home craving conchas, which is like a a Mexican pan dulce, right? I mean, they even made made the the pan dulce look delicious. I mean, they're so beautiful, the the rendering of this film. Uh, But I I also started listening to... um, songs that my grandpa used to listen to like Cielito Lindo which is a very famous Mexican folk song um, and so uh, I, you know and that's how I spent the rest of the night basically is is listening to a lot of like mariachi and folk songs um, yeah and this soundtrack uh, sorry to interrupt but this soundtrack is amazing go download yeah, it and listen to it absolutely um, and, and that also just throws a little more money their way to prove that they should make more Mexican films because I'm very serious when I say like I, I will be watching the box office receipts this all through the weekend because I really want this to do well. Um, we need more representation, positive representations and not just, you know, rapists and murderers and, you know, that sort of, of stereotype. Um, so since it's hard for me to be completely objective and it gave me all the kind of personal feels uh, I'm going to give it 10 out of 10. And I know that's going to be misconstrued as home reason because both the Mexicans gave it 10 out of 10. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 But I mean, this is, this is exciting. It, it, it's, it's a positive portrayal in, in a time when 
most of the headlines that have to do with anything Mexican are very political and mostly negative. And and I fully admit, I mean, I feel like this is what it is like to go see a Marvel movie and not be steeped in Marvel comic books for 30 some odd years and to to miss all of those Easter eggs and not get why people are are enjoying those but still enjoy the movie. And and so I 100% recognize that there is stuff that I am not picking up on that is weaved into this fa- oh, into that, the fabric that of this movie. You? Like in the theater people cheered for stuff and you weren't exactly sure why? No, well there were there were things that I definitely got like like when like when I know yeah. you got like <laughs> yeah, when the grandma pulled off her chancla, that was. <laughs> oh my god, that was yeah, amazing! Everyone, everybody got that joke. Everybody I, I think, understood that. <laughs> I think I think it helped that it was it was a, a very diverse audience of, of people seeing it. But but yeah, we we got. Oh that. god, my my screening was white as they come, and everybody got that joke. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, a switch is a switch is a switch. We all know what that's for. Yeah. So, yeah, but there, but the little things like like what what Mark you were saying about about the the paper and and like the use of marigold petals and and things like that that mm-hmm. you know I didn't know before going into this, but I I understand have significance and have meaning. So, uh, don't apologize for saying like this is a ten out of ten. That's like that's like me saying like. The Avengers is a ten out of ten, uh, or or something like that. So, like, no apologies necessary. I, I think that's great. And one of the problems we have is that there aren't enough Latino voices in like the critical space talking about this. And so, I I really want to thank you both for sharing your insight and and your feelings on this because I Absolutely. I think it's super important. So. And and thank you, Caitlin, for being here, um, and all three of you for filling in for Adam on on such short notice. We'll have to have all three of you back at some point so that we're we're talking about other things. Maybe we can all have a Star Wars reunion. Yeah, we all yes, <laughs> we all love Star Wars so much. It'll be a it'll be a five hour. <laughs> oh, you know, this movie might be worth it. Uh, I normally yeah, might. normally we tease out what we're seeing this week, but because of uh, Adam still being sick and me not being sure exactly uh, what we've got. I know we have the disaster artist coming up uh, and I, I definitely want to talk about that. Um, but I'm not sure if we will be back. I know we will definitely be back for Star Wars. Uh, but until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Scored a key, he's gonna fly, punk ass fly. Not today, Satan. (laughs) Drive safe, Satan. (laughs) Take care. Don't forget to say hi to mom.